How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 192 of X Last, where it's another just the X Ma'am look at a Marvel anthology. And uh, is that X Men Unlimited? I smell. Oh, let's uh, let's hope not. Let's hope that's not the case at all. Let's get right into it here. Uh, we are looking at Marvel's Voices Legacy Number One, which had an April 2021 cover date. We're looking at two stories in this issue. Uh, the first one's called Good Luck Girl. The second one is called Letting Go. Uh, writers Tochi Onabuchi, Saint Bodhi or Saint Body, and Danny Law. Art Ken Lashley and Aletha E. Martinez. Colors Juan Fernandez and Rachel Rosenberg. Letters VCs Travis Lanham and Joe Sabino. Design Selena Mahina. Edits Sarah Brunstead, Will Moss, C.B. Sabolsky. With special thanks to John Michael Ennis. It's at a cover price of $4.99 and went on sale February 24 of 2021. So we're going to start with Good Luck Girl by uh, Tochi Onobuchi, uh, Ken Lashley, and Juan Fernandez. And stop me if you've heard this one before. Um, we're opening in Madripoor's Hightown. I tell you, tourism must just be like booming in Madripoor with just how often we're there. Um... I mean, have we even gone like a single shipping week without one of our books dipping into Madripoor? I don't think so. I mean, what does it think it is, Otherworld? Anyway, we're here at a High Roller's cod table where Domino is being dealt into yet another hand that she'll win. Because she's lucky, you see. For whatever reason, she appears to be playing at gunpoint, and she doesn't seem all that troubled by that fact. And so, she talks a whole bunch about luck. Uh, this isn't an internal monologue or anything, though. Uh, she's actually just saying this stuff out loud to the high rollers about how lucky she is, and how, relatively speaking, how unlucky people around her might feel. And she suggests that this makes it hard to keep a boyfriend, and in a little flashback scene, we see original recipe Cable in some sort of distress. The high rollers wonder if she's here to fleece them, or if she has a death wish just waiting for her luck to run out. Among these high rollers is the, uh, King of Lowtown, which I didn't think was a thing since Almanes Varandi took over. Maybe this story takes place in the past. Uh, not that we'd get an editorial note to clue us in on that. Now, the king of Lowtown then pulls a getter, boys, and Domino finds herself under attack by, like, a dozen dudes. How do you think this is going to end? Well, if you guess that Domino's going to win the day because she's lucky, well, then you get to wear the Burger King crown home because you're a winner. Now, the king of Lowtown then points his gun at Domino and, at point-blank range, pulls the trigger. Guess what, though? His pistol jams. And so, Domino beats the bejesus out of him. We wrap up this story with Domino dropping a duffel bag full of money outside a man's residence. As she does so, she thinks back to a time where she was unable to save a little girl. 
It's heavily implied here, if not outright stated, that the man she's giving the money to was that little girl's father. So I figure this has got to be before Krakoa then, because we know that Krakoa has all the money. Unless the king of Lowtown was somehow responsible for this little girl's death, which made it personal. Um, though, it doesn't look like we're on Madripoor anymore, and... Like I said, no editorial footnotes. I don't know uh, what the implication is, but that's where we leave it. Next up, we go full X-Men Unlimited. It's Letting Go by St. Bodhi, or St. Body, I apologize. Uh, Danny Lore, Aletha E. Martinez, and Rachel Rosenberg. We open on Krakoa, so it is current day where Storm has discovered a young mutant girl in Dulstrom, South Africa. And she references this as being a small village near her homeland, and I, I thought she was from Kenya. So if we mean like a 65-hour drive and around 4,000 kilometers away, then yeah, I guess it's pretty close. Anyway, this young girl is named Abeni, and she has manifested some mutant powers, as mentioned here. And so, Storm heads into a gateway to check in and potentially recruit. Now, Storm approaches Abeni, who appears to have powers similar to Terra from the Teen Titans, which is to say, Earth-based. Now, as Storm arrives, Abeni is just whipping rocks and hunks of earth all over the place, hitting everybody in the area. Storm pleads with her to stop, but Abeni will not. She claims that the men she's hurting are actually monsters, and they're responsible for the death of her family. You see, they broke into her village and murdered her entire family while she was right there uh, watching and listening. Storm then asks Abeni to come away with her, says, you know, there's this place called Krakoa where you will be safe. And so she goes. And that's that. Um, we see a Benny on Krakoa being a productive Krakoan, Krakoa-ing with the rest of the Krakoans. And that's where we leave it. Uh, worth noting, there are a couple more stories with sort of kind of X-Men cameos in it. In Words Matter, uh, Jubilee and Storm show up in a single panel and don't actually do or say anything. And in the story called Decompression, there's a drawing of Storm that appears in a single panel. But that's it. Next episode, we're going back to Madripoor, because uh, we're going to finish up that Black Cat two-parter guest-starring uh, Wolverine. But now, let's, uh, I guess let's talk about this. There's not a whole lot to say, is there? Um, I mean, it's, it's not bad. Right, it's not a bad thing, but I feel like the uh, law of diminishing returns is here on these specials, at least from the X Men perspective, because we are like full on in X Men Unlimited territory here. Um, I feel like we've had stories like the Abeni one in both of our previous Marvel's Voices specials, where an X Men meets a new mutant, and that's really it. Which feels like the stock plot from the uh, from the late eighties, early nineties when. Claremont and company just didn't feel like moving the story forward, or if there was a PSA tie-in or just a you know a one-shot, this is kind of what we'd get, and it uh, it doesn't feel like it matters all that much. Not that every single story has to you know you know be groundbreaking and change the world, but these are stories that we've already seen, right? I mean, Domino bouncing around talking about how lucky she is. I think we just saw two issues of that in X Force. Right? I mean, that was kind of the whole linchpin for the whole first arc of X-Force Where Zeno took Domino's skin and was grafting it onto their, onto their men So that they can have some luck powers They even made like an inverse Domino Like a, a Domino ganger doppel, doppel Domino Whatever we want to call that there So, I mean, we've seen this And, I mean, even then it wasn't the first time Because, I mean, 
that story that kind of writes itself. Domino's lucky. Tell a story. Okay, well, we'll tell a story about how lucky Domino is. And the second story here, again, not bad. It just doesn't feel like it matters all that much. It's just the X-Men finding a mutant in need and recruiting them. Nothing we haven't seen dozens of times before. Which, I mean, makes it really hard to really speak about, right? I'm struggling for uh, things that I can say about this. It uh, just feels... Very, very boilerplate At least from the X-Men perspective I gotta remind you guys I didn't read the rest of it You know, so the other stories Might have been just amazing But the two X-related ones we got Feel like feel like filler They feel like old inventory stories The stories that we would throw In the back of an annual Because we had an extra four or five pages We needed to kill It's a story that could be told At basically any time I mean, the Krakoa stuff notwithstanding uh, These are stories that can be told uh, at least contextually, at, at any point in time in the X-Men's history, it doesn't really matter. They're timeless stories, which I, th- I feel is more of a bad thing than a good, because it feels just like we're going back to the well. And for a special like this, I feel like it does it almost a disservice. And I mean, I'm completely projecting here, but it's like you can see a lack of interest in this. It's just... Pages that were spent is all, but I uh, really don't have a whole heck of a lot more to say about it, unfortunately. It uh, is what it is and doesn't dare to be anything that it's not. I mean, like I said earlier, they're not bad stories. They're just stories we've seen way too many times before. And uh, I don't know that we need to keep seeing them. But uh, if you agree or disagree, I would love to hear from you. I will uh, give the contact information toward the end of the program here. But, uh... Actually, while on that same uh, subject here, let's get into some feedback here. We're going to start with Damien, who's talking about one of our trips off the beaten path here, Runaways number 33. Damien says, I had never read an issue of Runaways or any story featuring these characters. They just passed me by. I was pleasantly surprised that Rainbow Rowell was able to involve me in a story featuring characters I didn't know. And yes, that was very true. I agree 100%. Uh, As I mentioned when we covered the uh, Runaways three-parter, it has been probably at least 15 years since I read... Maybe maybe not quite that long, but uh, it's been at least a decade since I've read a Runaways story. And, uh, you know, I popped back in and I felt like I didn't miss a beat. Not to say that things haven't changed, because of course, I mean, things evolve, things change. But I was invested enough. And it was written invitingly enough to where I didn't feel lost, despite the fact that we started our little uh, journey with the Runaways with part two of a story. You know, we didn't even read part one and still didn't feel lost. Felt like uh, everybody got a proper introduction. We got a, l- a little taste of the new status quo with them being in school and being in the having the hostel or the flop house or whatever you want to call it in Griffith Park. It's very well told stuff here. Damien continues. The high school setting helps. Everyone knows these tropes. We instantly feel at home. As you say, there was a real horror in the shelter-in-place scenes, and the banality of the horror... The banality of the horror, even, (laughs) makes it worse. And yeah, that was one of the main takeaways from that first issue that we covered here. Um, There's a scene where Gert, if you haven't listened to the episode, uh, Gert is in school and there is a uh, shelter-in-place drill. So, uh, which is to say, like, if something... Something bad we're going down at the school, not a fire drill, you know, the the gun or uh, hostage-taking sort of a thing here, which has sadly become all too common. 
And Rainbow Rowell took that opportunity to show us the true horror of Shelter in Place. And when we got to that scene, and I mentioned this during that discussion, I kind of cringed a little bit because I was afraid it was going to be a soapbox moment. And uh, in that sort of a situation, uh, there are a couple of soapboxes you can step on, and neither one of them is something that I would like to discuss in a comic book, right? It could either be people saying, take all the guns away, or people saying, no, don't take all the guns away. What Rainbow Rowell did, instead of taking the easy path, right, and, and just making that, that sort of a statement, they instead focused on the fact that the other students, because Gert is new to, new to high school again, but the other students, one in particular, was just like, yeah, this happens. Which is a sobering thought that it's become so commonplace that uh, the students are unmoved by it. That really speaks to how horrifying the you know school is uh, now. And I feel like that scene was an absolute home run in that we got to see Gert's reaction there. And uh, her reaction, not only to the, the, you know, the drill that they were on, but the reaction of the other people's uh, realization that they're in this drill as being kind of nonplussed. It's, um, it says a lot by not saying a lot, and uh, I definitely credit uh, Rainbow Rowell with that. That was a, that was a wonderful, wonderful little scene. Uh, Damien continues. I love the way that Wolverine and Pixie arrive, and I love the idea of a Doombot butler. Just an altogether delightful comic. And yeah, absolutely. It absolutely was. I wasn't quite sure what we were going to be getting ourselves into with Runaways. Um, Sometimes, I mean, we talked about Power Pack just uh, the other day. And while I really enjoyed that story, I felt like it relied a little bit too much on current year, like, teen speak, you know? Like starting sentences with hashtag and saying fam and, you know, smash that like button just in, like, ordinary conversation. And I was a little uh, nervous that we were going to get something similar in Runaways, but I was delighted delighted that we did not. Damien wraps up with, Anyway, until I get a Doombot to keep my flat organized, make mine ex lapsed. I think they sell them at Costco, the Doombot. The Doombot butlers, uh, they got them in the back of Costco, I think. But uh, thank you so much, Damien, for uh, checking in on that issue. And uh, it means a lot to me that you would, uh, you would check an issue of a series that you, you know, hadn't normally followed. I think that's really, really cool and uh, really happy to have turned you on to uh, Runaways, at least for a few issues. So thank you so much. Uh, next up, we got Evan talking about X-Force number 17. He says, I went through this whole issue confident that the mystery villain was a Xeno-produced clone of Quentin. And until listening to the episode, when you pointed out that we don't know if that he actually died after being yoinked through the portal, your theory could be dead on. But, and I don't think this undermines your theory at all, who's to say that Quentin is the real Quentin Choir? We've debated, and Nightcrawler mused a bit back in X-Men number 7, about the existence and presence of a soul in these resurrected characters. If it's a duplicate of their body with a mostly complete set of memories, is it the same person? What makes a person who they are? These questions are bigger than the Hox Pox Docs Rocks era, and in, in comics in general, of course, but they are posed in the very concept of the resurrection protocols. The not-dead Quentin could very well be giving off psychic vibes that the copies that followed him aren't the only versions out there. <laughs> 
I wonder if original recipe prodigy, Quentin number six, and some other folks who were prematurely resurrected will form their own Alvaro team, perhaps led by Mystique, in order to burn Krakoa to the ground. Well, first of all, I am absolutely tickled that you used Alvaro team in the, in your missive there. Um, for folks unaware, and I apologize if I'm repeating this for like the hundredth time for some of you, an Alvaro team to me is... Uh, it's a callback to the old Alvaro comic boards, which are still a thing, I think. But uh, And I think I say that every time I mention this, too. But Alvaro message boards, or the Alvaro comic boards, was a place, one of the first places on the World Wide Web that I, uh, that I frequented. I was usually on Usenet or AOL. And when I was, you know, drifting away from AOL and Usenet was becoming just uh, people spamming porn... I uh, looked for another place to post and to read, you know, opinions and stuff, and Alvaro was the place I went. And while there was some good conversation there, like, the overwhelming majority of the posts, especially on the X-Men boards, were people, like, fantasy writing. They were fantasy booking their own X-Men teams. And it became a an exercise in uh, making the most obscure team as possible, a team that... Nobody, not even the person writing the post, would have any interest in reading because all it is is a list of wacky characters and wacky names without any thought to how they would coexist and what stories you could tell with those characters. You know, it's uh, all in good fun, but I mean, if this is one of the things that you actually play it through, it's probably not nearly as interesting as uh, as anyone might think in uh, making the suggestion. So I love that you used Alvaro team there. Um, now, Quentin, we don't know what is going on with Quentin here, and I think during that conversation, I think it, what I, one of the things I had theorized about the many deaths of Quentin Choir is the fact that these uh, copies, these resurrected Quentins, know that they're not the real one, so they're kind of looking for a way out. Uh, as I mean, nobody has a death count like Quentin. And even in the issue here, we saw like the weird way, like he, he was like run over by a steamroller. I, I, how does that happen? You know, he's he's an omega level mutant. There's no way he should be getting run over by a steamroller. It was just silliness, and I, I mean, there is certain comedy to that, and I don't know if that's what Ben Percy's going for. Um, ben Percy, like Jonathan Hickman, is not good at comedy, so we don't know when he's joking and when he's serious. But uh, I, I digress, of course. Um, I do really wonder if the soul question will ever be answered. Um, I know people are raving about Way of X. Uh, well, Actually, I shouldn't say people are raving. I've only talked to like two or three people about it, but they all really like it. So I'm very much looking forward to getting into that here. I've been looking forward to that one ever since it was announced, and even before it was announced. Uh, like you said, in X-Men number seven, when Nightcrawler's like giving the side eye to the uh, to the events of the Crucible and the way people are just following blindly. I was looking forward to this story actually playing out since then, so... Really happy that it's going to very soon, and uh, I think we're only about two or three episodes away from it here. I'd have to double-check the numbers before uh, making such a statement, but uh, I, I don't want you guys to hear me clicking around on the computer here. But thank you so much for uh, writing in about that one, Evan. That's a lot of food for thought, and I'm really, really looking forward to getting a few answers here. So thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, that'll do it for the mailbag here, but... We got something else to do here. We got more sales charts here. We got to catch ourselves up. We uh, took a break there because I didn't realize that Diamond skipped a few months. 
So I've been looking for November 2020's dates for data for months now, and uh, they're hasn't been any because they skipped November and they skipped December and we came back with January, which I covered last episode. So today, let's talk about February here. This is February 2021. And again, just like with last episodes, we do not have shipped numbers here. All we have is the rankings. So, uh, you know, which is to say we know what, what book was the highest selling. We just don't know how many units that book shipped. So, We're going to start by uh, checking in with the top five books of February, just to refresh ourselves on what was going on in comics a few months back. And needless to say, but I will anyway, there are no X-Books in the top five. Um, Number one, The Last Ronin, the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles special there, uh, or I think it was the first issue of a miniseries, perhaps. That came from IDW. Number two, King in Black, number four from Marvel. Three, Star Wars, The High Republic, number two from Marvel. Four, Venom number 33 from Marvel. Five, the next Batman number three at eight friggin' dollars from DC Comics. So uh, those are the top five. Now, let's get into our books here. And we don't actually have to travel down all that far. The eighth highest selling book is X-Men number 18, which goes up seven slots from uh, position 15 where they were in January. Our number 11 book is X-Men Legends number 1. That's just included for, uh, you know, completionist's sake. Really, really strong launch for that. Almost surprising how strong a launch that is here. I didn't think uh, anybody really cared about the true origin of uh, Adam X the Extreme, but maybe it's the number one effect. Maybe it's the fact that there were like 8,000 variant covers for it. I really couldn't tell you. Now, book 25 of February is Wolverine number 10, which drops down five slots from number 20. Book 32 is X-Force 17, which shifts up two slots from number 34. Book 44 is Marauders number 18, down three slots from 41. Book 47 is Sword number 3. Now, it went up seven slots from 54, and this is an official King and Black tie-in, where Sword Number 2 is all but in branding a King and Black issue, but with Number 3, it had the little spidery logo on it. Book 49, Savage Avengers Number 18, another King and Black tie-in, which we covered on the show not too long ago. Book 53, Excalibur Number 18, which went up 15 slots from Number 68. Trying to remember what happened in that issue. I'm sure it had something to do with uh, Psylocke and uh, Captain Britain. Hmm. Uh, next up, book 54, King and Black, Marauders, number one. We don't have anything to compare that to besides other issues of uh, Marauders. Book 55, New Mutants, number 16. There was no issue in January to compare this one to. Book 56, Hellions, number nine. Goes up three slots from number 59. Book 57 is X-Factor number 7, went up three slots from number 60. Book 69 is the book we're discussing right now, Marvel's Voices Legacy number 1. And finally, book 75 is Poor Old Cable number 8, which went down one slot from number 74. And I tell you, this is a lot less fun to do without actual shipping numbers, or even estimated shipping numbers. It's uh, really hard to analyze a whole heck of a lot from this. Uh, If you notice there, we had quite a few books in order here. Uh, Book number 53 through 57, those are all books that we covered here on the show, which is pretty wild. So 
I figure that gives us a decent impression that the readership of the non-flagship books, which I guess is to say anything but X-Men and Wolverine, is pretty steady. Which, you know, I mean, I take that as a good sign, right? I mean, there is a uh, an audience that is buying more than one X-Book. I know there are people out there just buying X-Men, and I don't know how you do it, because that's not a good book. But uh, I think this shows us that... Uh, that there are people out there buying everything. Uh, of course, we do have jumps and backslides, but nothing all that huge. Uh, Sword went up in the ratings, but again, number three did come with that King in Black branding on it. Excalibur made a sizable leap, probably just to make me feel like an idiot for asking why it hasn't been canceled yet, which is, you know, that's just <laughs> the way it goes. A Cable is still holding steady, despite the fact that cancellation is imminent. Uh, I'm not sure, I mean... I'm not sure how many copies the 75th highest title uh, from February 2021 actually shipped, so I can't say that these are decent numbers. I can't say that they're bad numbers. I can't say that they're great numbers. We just don't know, unfortunately. Maybe one of these days we'll actually get a uh, an estimated shipping, at least, just to uh, help us, you know, data crunchers uh, feel like we uh, can analyze things again. So. I guess we'll just have to wait until Marvel is settled in with... Who are they with? Random House? Something like that? I, I don't know. <laughs> they're, they're not with Diamond anymore, or they, or they won't be at some time in the not-too-distant future. But hopefully with that change will come some shipping data that we can play with. And uh, so I can complain that Excalibur is still getting published, and that X-Factor is not... Oh boy. Anyway, that's where we'll leave it for today. I hope you guys enjoy hearing me read a list of books that we've already covered on the show. But uh, hey, you get the full experience here on the show. So if you'd like to write in and tell me to stop just reading these lists, please feel free to do so. You can find me several different ways. I'm on Twitter at Ace Comics, Instagram at 90sXmen, and you can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You could hang with us on Facebook, our little group, which is getting bigger by the day. So thank you to newcomers there. Uh, that is 90s X-Men on Facebook. And finally, for all your Chris and Reggie comic listening needs, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available anywhere that the Internet aggregates noise. And uh, I'll ask again, if, uh, if you like what's going on over there, or at least appreciate the effort behind it, please, I beg of you, <laughs> spread the word, share the show, tell a friend. It would really, really mean a lot to me. Speaking of which, it really means a lot to me that you'd uh, sit and let me uh, babble into your ear for uh, a good portion of your day, or, or at least a uh, you know, half hour of your day. It really, really means a lot, so thank you all so, so much. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.